Hey everyone, welcome back to another long wait episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three friends and three pastors conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. It has been a minute uh, since we even saw all three of us together, so it's it's good to do this. Um, how are you guys doing? Jason, you were, you're in Korea. How was that? So great. How, um, how was your um, Korea medical checkup? Did everything went well? Dude, when you're in Korea and you, you get a medical checkup, you realize... How bad the healthcare system is in America. They are so efficient. Like that, like their hospitals are like they have a kid, like a kid cafe on the bottom floor of their hospital, so you can mm. drop them off while you get your checkup. Mm. Mm. You know they have good restaurants. I mean, like people are nice. Like I, I was told that in Korea, people see like even um, healthcare as like a service industry. I see. So people who work in hospitals too, they really do see you as like a customer in some mm. ways. Um, mm. And so I can see you can, you can experience that. So. Hey, share your uh, celebrity story or that restaurant well, thought so you were a celebrity for a moment. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, our, our hotel at the, when we got there, the, <laughs> we were eating at a buffet and they, you know, they like all stopped and all the servers came out and they were like, oh, and then, but then one server who came out, I could see that she told her friend, no, that's not him. And so then they immediately just, um, yeah, they just all bounced. <laughs> oh man. Hey, at least they stopped for you. They would, they would never even stop uh, for me. So there, there you go. Know, um, but it's like, it's like even sadder though. Right. Cause it's like they thought you were someone and then you weren't that person and so yeah <laughs> all right um yeah tom how you been any any updates for you nope all good same as always there you go um so i know it's been a very long time so we got a bunch of questions in the mailbag i'm sorry there's no way we could get to all of them but we got a couple um so i'm gonna try and shoot through these as quick as we can before we start our episode but uh, a couple let's start with the first one a uh, very, very open-ended question um what are your thoughts on the southern baptist convention and the recent results uh of just all you know a lot of churches leaving Salaback left uh, i didn't even know elevation church was part of sbc but they also uh I guess ceremonially left as well. Wait, but they were? They were part of the SBC? I guess that's what wow. I saw. But um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting... Um, do they call those general meetings? I don't know what they call those. It's like the SBC convention, though. That's right. My bad. Annual convention. But yeah, any thoughts? Um, I Maybe more to Tom, because I mean, he's not in the SBC, but probably most Baptistic out of three of us. <laughs> I just remember watching it and it made me feel so glad that we did not join the SBC. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm good, man. Good call. Although you could have got a front row seat of, uh, what was it, Al Mohler versus uh, Rick Warren live? Oh, yeah. That was, that was WWE match. Um, but yeah, a little chaotic, but hey, which denomination is not in chaos at this moment? So I think that's most of our thoughts. A um, couple of dating questions. Uh, I've, I don't know if we've answered this before or not, but what are your, th- what are our thoughts on dating a non-believer? Any, anyone want to go at that one? So I've been thinking about that one. Uh, I, I think you can make a biblical case that you shouldn't 
marry a non-believer. Mm. But I don't know if you can make a biblical case that you shouldn't date one because mm. there's no dating category in the Bible. Mm. And so what I would tell someone who's dating a non-believer, it's not a, a right or wrong answer. It's a wisdom issue. Mm. And so is this wise to pursue this relationship, especially if you think of it in a marriage context? So, you know, you just have to learn, I think, through that. And I feel like, yeah, looking at it through a wisdom lens might be more helpful than looking at it from like a right or wrongs lens, because you won't find the answer if you look at it at a right versus wrong lens. Hmm. I think, I think, yeah, that does the best. Um, another question, <laughs> thoughts on sharing about your ex to your current significant other. Any, <laughs> that's a very specific question. Any, any thoughts on that one? I mean, I, 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 I think it depends and I think it's like, what are you sharing? Right. Yeah. What are you sharing? And, and I don't know that I think every couple is different. I've heard of people who just don't want to hear anything. They don't want to know. They would rather not talk about their dating history. And I know couples that like part of the, like, you know, they bear all things. Um, I, I wouldn't say there are any hard and fast rules, whatever works for you, I guess. Jason, I'm, I'm, this might be too personal, so I can edit it out. Did you tell Carol while you were dating all your, like most of your ex's stuff in his, history? Um, I mean, she only knew who I dated, but she didn't really know like, like you know we didn't like we didn't have full-on conversations about my exes yeah tom anything to add <laughs> there, you, there you go tom's like i'm not i'm not yeah, going down not, not touching that good 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 call good call um another question when was a legit time any of us wanted to quit ministry and if you did have that what brought you back into ministry unless you're in that right now which we can also wait, wait through <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a, um, I haven't had a moment as a lead pastor that I wanted to quit ministry. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I was in full-time ministry doing worship prior to this role. And at the end, like of my season there, like I was 35. Um, I didn't really know if becoming like a teaching, preaching pastor was like the next step for me. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay like in, Oh yeah. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I wanted to stay in worship. Um, I, I was open to it, but there was, so that there was a time probably around 2018 that I was, I kind of wondered if ministry was going to be the thing I was going to do for the rest of my life. Vocational ministry that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't think of a moment where I was serious about leaving. I thought about leaving like the church that I was in, but leaving pastoral ministry, I think actually getting ordained mm. makes it like a little bit more challenging to seriously consider it because that's like where you're almost confirming with the congregation that you're called to this. So it's almost like regardless of your feelings, you got to heed the call. Mm. So I think the calling aspect really grounds you and it should make you... Mm, not so quick to consider leaving. Mm -hmm. I was just having another question popped in my mind, I guess to follow up with you, Tom, I was just having uh, lunch with a pastor friend and I was asking him, do you think the pastoral call is, should be for life? Like that should be the norm. Ooh, I don't know about that last part of it should be the norm. Uh, I, 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 I would, so my definition or the Baptistic definition of ordination is you're called to be the pastor of that local church. 
So it's not like this ordination you carry around with other churches. I think Presbyterians almost see it as more sacramental, where like you're called to be a pastor anywhere you go. So I would I would say it's more you're bound to your congregation. And so that it almost depends now upon like what happens to your congregation. Mm, mm, that's good. Um, yeah, for me, I think my job as an associate is to make sure that my lead doesn't want to quit ministry. So yeah, I don't know. I resonate with this question because I'll tell you this, like lead pastoring is tough. And I think most leads like within a long span of time, they usually have that period. Sabbaticals, I think help. Although I heard certain sabbaticals, they'll take it and they'll, they'll resign right after too. So I'm not sure, but hopefully that's helpful for whoever asked that. Um, a couple of the questions, how do we respect our parents while disagreeing with them, especially in Asian immigrant families? I think you could disagree with their parents while at the same time honoring them and even submitting to them. If, if you submit to them because you agree with them, that's not really submission. But submission is like when you don't agree, but you're still willing to like cave in and do what, listen to your parents. And so I do think it's possible to maintain that tension, although it's hard. So, but I would say if you disagree with your parents, there's still overriding that who's right or who's wrong, that call to honor your parents. And even and if you're living in the household, especially to still submit to them. Yeah, I think mm. a lot of it also depends on the relationship that you have with your parents, the history you have with your parents, the ways that you communicate. But I would also say that, yeah, I think there would, there's just naturally going to be a lot we disagree on because I know at least for us here and a lot of our listeners, our parents grew up in a completely different time, different culture, um, you know, and their experiences in America have been completely different from us. So, so much of the way they think is going to be different. And so one of the things for me is learning, understanding that there are going to be probably almost as many differences in the way we think about things that as similarities, but learning like when to push and when to pull, like, you know, learning when to push and when to like, just leave it alone. You know, I think we have the tendency to try to correct our parents on every little thing. And as a parent myself, like even when my kids do that, it's like very upsetting. (laughs) And so, yeah, like I I think, yeah, part of, uh, part of learning how to be in relationship, not Mm -hmm. like, not necessarily suppressing what you feel but i do think there is a a wisdom aspect to that too it's like you know when do you feel like okay this is a time when i should maybe voice this disagreement respectfully of course and when is the time to be like you know what like we're gonna just disagree on this and that's okay And it's hard as an Asian because I think the natural life stage of a child-parent relationship in like Western context is when you're older, you become more like peers and like friends even. Mm-hmm. But that's not gonna happen with Asians. <laughs> like you're not gonna, you're not gonna yeah. be friends with your parents. Do you, do you think that'll happen with us and our kids though? It's a good question. I, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. It's good. Mm-hmm. No, I I can't add anything. So I think that's that's helpful uh, for your context. Whoever asked that. Uh, a couple last two questions. What are your thoughts on Sunday school? Uh, does your church do it? And if so, how? We do it. Um, I like it. <laughs> um, you know, and this is no knock on like covenant worship and worshiping. You know, I, um, a lot of my friends pastor churches where all the children worship together. I think there's a beauty and a, um, 
uh, intention to that, which I respect. Um, I like Sunday school, but I, for me, it's a matter of clarifying for parents and for the church, like what Sunday school is, you know, it's not like free babysitting. It's not, um, shipping your kids off to be discipled by the church. It's, I, I see it as a church coming alongside families, um, as they disciple their children, you know, um, it's like, how can we support them on this journey, um, as a community? And so I do think people have wrong perceptions about what Sunday school is. And I think that's, that can be very damaging. Um, but I think as long as we're clear on what it is, I, I value it. And I, you know, shout out to all our Sunday school volunteers cause they, they work so hard every week. Are you talking about Sunday school for kids mainly, or is it for adults too? Oh, are you talking about adults? I think mainly for kids, but I also wanted to follow up about adults too. But we can start with the kids first. I, mean, I agree with everything Jason said about the children. The adults one's interesting. Our church, we're actually going to try something. Ooh, nice. Um, I find that it's more like traditional churches that emphasize the Sunday school curriculum. Um I feel a lot of churches around us today, they're not used to that. It's more like midweek stuff. But I also recognize like, oh, but Sunday, I understand why churches do the Sundays because that's like the one day that they're all there. And so we're looking to see like what that could look like for our church. Would this be before service or after service? It's a great question. We're more so because of our service time, we're really curious about before service. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, hope that's helpful for that one. Last question. This is a, she sent a DM. So I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing because she took some time to write this out. Um, do you have any recommendations for books or other resources or for someone who is struggling to believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God? I personally struggle with the idea that all translations are translated by white men, uh, especially the ESV which seems like it was created to undermine gender-inclusive translation. Uh, what are your thoughts on this topic? And also, what translation would you most recommend to your listeners? Mm. Wait, so the first part of the question, it's about the types of translations we have? So I think the first, so there's like context, like this person struggles with just the idea of believing the Bible to be inerrant. That's to start off. Yeah. And then she realized, oh, these translations are all white men translating them. And ESV, which is kind of like, I don't know if it's gold standard anymore, was created in her mind to undermine gender inclusive translation. So it's like, what's your thoughts on that? And then from there, what translation do you most recommend? So personally, this is like a question that I feel like a lot of people ask and they don't like the answer. Because that world of like textual criticism is so nerdy. Like there's books by Walter Kaiser, Bruce Metzger that goes into like how the translations happen from the original manuscripts. And it's just boring stuff, important stuff, but super boring. So just know if you ask that question, you should get ready for a lot of research if you want a proper answer. Uh, and then I think, and I think the inerrancy question is not as simple as maybe the conservatives say, mm. uh, but you'll have a greater respect for like how people arrive at their conclusions if you do the research. So I'll say that's for the first part. The second part of translations, I think there's like she's onto something. Like the trend, like the ESV is kind of like that standard version that a lot of reform circles use. And I think one thing we have to recognize is, but it is a translation. It's not the inerrant translation. 
And so that one thing for our church, they were just so used to doing the ESV that we had to introduce to our church, hey, there's other translations that are actually faithful and they have different purposes. The ESV tries to keep it word for word, which is why the sentences sound a little clunky sometimes and not readable versus you swing the other way with like NIV or the message. They try to make it really readable. And again, I understand the criticisms on both sides. So one thing that we did is we actually want to introduce to our church different translations. So we switched from the ESV to the CSB, not necessarily because the CSB is better, but we just like the idea of introducing our church. There's not one original translation. And I think it actually expands your mind into looking at the scriptures versus like just narrowing it to just one singular translation that's there. Because that's the reality of the Bible. It's not written in English in the original language. Three thumbs up. I mean, I, to Thomas' point, I just read all the translations. I, for the longest time, thought the message was a joke because everyone just made fun of it in seminary. But and as I'm preaching, I actually try and read every translation possible. And sometimes I find the message to be the most helpful, at least in my preaching, because it just gets to the core idea. Um, so I just just read a lot of translations. Uh, I know that might sound like a tedious job as Tom mentioned, but I think that's helpful. So if, you like also, the mess, if, you, if you like the message, go to True North. That's what they preach. We won't preach out of it, but uh, <laughs> I might quote it here and there as a poem. Um, Tom, you, Tom, didn't you write about this uh, on Tom, your blog? Or am I, am I tripping? I might have. Okay. Yeah. If not, I, if I find something, I'll, I'll include it in the episode description. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. Um, last question. What what does off the pulpit look like in the future? That's a very open-ended question, but any... I, I, I We've actually been getting asked that a lot. So I guess for you guys, any... What does that mean? I don't know. What, whatever you want it to mean. I feel like we're like the one podcast on the internet that had zero aspirations <laughs> about... Like there's like no reels, like there there's no TikTok like, channel. It's just, yeah, it was like we didn't even have a destination that we were like, let's try to get here. You know, it's true. We, we um, go as far as wherever Eugene wants to take us. Hey. Exactly, a hundred percent. You know, Tom and I, uh, we just show up. Uh, <laughs> I think if people found out our prep process, like they'd stop listening if they if they realized. Like sometimes we, hey, like today, I think at eight p.m. I was like, hey. These are the topics and questions. Hey, we let the spirit move. The spirit yeah. moves. I won't be honest. I there's certain people that have wanted us to like make this more legitimate thing, and I, I actually am really appreciative of that. But I think all three of us just we're just doing this to stay friends and just talk. <laughs> so I think we're gonna keep that. And I realize like once you get paid to do, I'm not saying that we would like get paid, but if we try and make it more professional, I, once you get paid to do something, you just, it kind of loses the joy in it. So I think we just want to keep it like this and see where it goes. Yeah. That's a good segue into today's episode. Yeah. Speaking about getting paid on the reverse side, <laughs> we want to talk about, uh, and this is to credit Tom's idea, uh, what it kind of under the hood, what does it look like to, to lead a church staff? What is church like? the church office look like? What, what would the TV series of that look like? Because I think people would be very surprised. And I think people do have a lot of questions of like, what do people do? What are the positions? Why do certain people get paid? Why is there staff this size? Um, so yeah, this will be fun. This will be kind of a sporadic one and whatever comes our way, we'll try and answer it uh, together. But I, I guess maybe it'd be helpful to start out this way. Um, 
first off, how big is uh, Citizen Staff, Grace Hill Staff, and I'll mention Shinor Staff? Um, how big is your staff? And kind of maybe just a brief overview of your positions and uh, your people. And related to that, what would your ideal staff size be at your current church size? So whoever wants to go first. We have six people on our staff. And the way it works is there's two full-time pastors and our roles are kind of interchangeable. We have uh, we have an administrator, shout out Jessica, she's awesome. We have two people who serve part-time for our education ministry mm. and it's our education director and our children's director. And we have a college director and Sunday operations director. So it's two pastors and f- uh, th- uh, three directors and one admin. Mm. Mm. Shout out Tim Lee, one of the best education <laughs> staff members out there. <laughs> Uh, On top of that, Tom, um, what was your ideal, I mean, realistically, what would your ideal staff size be with the church your size? You like that size or? Yeah, I think for our church, I think that size is actually pretty good. Mm. Uh, I personally like it. Nice. Nice. Um, For True North, kind of similar to Tom, uh, uh, we have five people on staff. Um, I'm the associate slash executive, um, and Jay is our lead. So we have two, two full-time pastors, uh, one, uh, full-time education director, which is my wife, Sylvia. And we have two part-timers, David, our worship leader, who's great. And Christy Rowe, who's our admin, who literally runs our church. And if she disappeared, uh, much of our church would disappear. And I like Tom, I actually, uh, think, uh, Actually, one more full-time might be helpful, but yeah, we're, we're cool with our staff right now. Um, for us, we have uh, seven full-timers Oof. and uh, 12 part-timers. Now, granted, a lot of those um, part-timers are, are really miniature part-time, Sunday-only um, and a lot of uh, them are serve in our education department. Um, our children's ministry, we have like six different classrooms for six different age brackets. Um, and so they, we have coordinators in each of those rooms. And so a lot of, a lot of these coordinators have their own full-time jobs during the week. Mm. Um, and I, I know, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but yeah, like they're, you know, um, they're paid staff now who basically uh, are overseen by our children's ministry director who is full-time. And so, um, yeah, um, it's a pretty large staff. Um, I, I, in terms of ideal number, yeah, like I I guess for, in some ways, like um, I think I probably as a leader operate best um, with a smaller staff, just my, mm. I, I, as in like my giftings. And so part of leading a larger staff, um, I have experienced a lot of growing pains for myself as a leader. Um, yeah. I, and why I say that is, is cause I think at a smaller size, you can be very relational, organic, collaborative. Um, I think as the staff gets larger, you need more clarity, processes, systems, structures. Um, and I, I'm not as, you know, naturally gifted at, at those things. And so, yeah, so I, I, I love the size of our staff now, given the needs of our congregation. Um, but in terms of like, I think just naturally my, my natural bent would be to lead a smaller staff. But you oversee all of them. 
So we just kind of did a reorg where now um, our staff is, I, I used to oversee everyone and that was just getting too Oof. difficult. And I don't even think I was doing a good job of that. Um, and so now we have kind of like three, um, what we call like the staff, like oh, they're almost like executive staff leaders. They're like the bishops? Kind of like the bishops, yeah, who oversee their uh, respective pods. Mm. So we like we have one person who oversees like our education pod, and that's children, youth, college. <clears throat> one person who oversees our community life pod, which is um, both everything that happens community life inside the church, but also mm. outside as well with our city partnerships. And then I oversee kind of um, what I would call like the Sunday pod. Mm. So like our worship, hospitality. Um, you know, and then still like we, we wanted, we, the pod structure, we did everything we could to maintain like the collaborative relational impulse of the staff mm. while creating enough kind of like separation where, you know, people could have clarity in terms of like responsibilities and, and process and stuff like that. Those churches with like only three pastors doing everything. It's so wild, right? serious we'll, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit um because i want to talk about like why what what's the difference between a staff and volunteer but we'll, in a little bit but one question that came up into my mind was what do you guys feel like is the biggest difference between a church staff workplace and a more of a secular corporate or what, any other workplace is there any difference um or or is it kind of the same where it is like work and there's water cooler drama and all that stuff so different um and it's really actually beneficial for me to have a wife who works full-time um in like a more um typical corporate setting because i think in my conversation with her i realized how different it is to work in a church setting and i mean there's just it's 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 almost like you know if the, the a lot for a lot of people the predominant kind of like metaphor for church is family you know there's like the fam like you you you're kind of working with family you know um, then you're like your your boss is also a lot of times your pastor so the mm. person you have to be like shepherded by and cared for but yeah. then that person is also kind of supervising you overseeing you that just creates so many weird nuances dynamics you know and then just the fact that it's a church and you are leading in a church context means like you can't just like you know you can't just like tell someone off in the office because you got pissed off or like you know there are certain things that like just because of the nature i mean you would hope that christians in every field kind of operated in that way but i think when you work for a church a lot of those nuances are even more pronounced Hmm. yeah i agree i think the trickiest thing is you're like functioning like a nonprofit, but your employees are members of the church and so you have to have that dual nature relationship with them where you're their shepherd, but you're also their boss. And so which, who are you talking to in those meetings? Are you talking to your pastor right now? Or are you talking to your boss? Yeah. And so it's a little bit tricky, I think, on both ends. So true. And, and in a lot of ways, like even in the nonprofit world, a lot of the work that you do is not, is not 
directly impacting you as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, like they're, we're creating ministries and um, initiatives and doing things that like undoubtedly will also shape the discipleship of the person working on staff, mm-hmm. you know? And so you're almost creating things that are designed to help you and your family connect more deeply to God and, and one another. And so there's just such a in deep, like intertwining of everything. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a strange like intersection. And then, you know, like a lot of the things that happen in a church and I'm sure we'll get, we'll talk about this too. It's like, you know, when you are on staff at a church, like it's very hard to calculate unless your task is a very specific task on a specific day it's very hard to like calculate what is work and what is my own spiritual Mm -hmm. like nourishment you know like when i pray for my our congregation is that like am i working now um you know when i attend worship is that work now you know um and so there are all these questions that i think um people in vocational ministry have to deal with that are, are just not there for, for people outside of the church. I remember, I remember one pastor put it the tension in an interesting way. He was saying, uh, when you have a staff, they have, they're getting paid like an employee, but they expect this, the type of grace that you would show to a member. And mm. it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the workforce, but mm. in the church, that's almost like the expectation. Like if you don't fulfill your job description, you expect though that you're receiving grace because he's your pastor. And it's like, oh, as a pastor, like, what do you do? <laughs> so on that note, like for you guys, especially, cause I think the lead pastor kind of, you know, I hate using this language, but they function as a, a CEO and they kind of set the workplace culture for you guys. Like, how do you navigate that tension though? Because you're the, you're the boss, like the buck stops with both of you guys. And how do you navigate? I don't know. I'm sure there's part-timers that I, I know at both your churches that are younger and they're like, kind of like almost like a little brother figure to you guys. Like, how do you do that when you're also, they're on payroll? I don't know about you, Jason, but I tend to err on the side of treating them like a member. That's just kind of like my nature. Like, I feel like if I was in a corporation, you know, you, you might approach certain situations a little differently, but because mm. it's like the church and like you mentioned, they're like little brothers or sisters and you care for them. I feel like I valued that a lot more than like the performance, not mm-hmm. to say, I don't ever want to undermine the performance because it affects like the whole church. Yeah. But I feel whether it's right or wrong, I tend to error on that side. Mm. And I, and I think also I really, then it's easier for me because my staff is smaller. I'm not sure, Jason, how you do it, but I emphasize the relational aspect a lot because I feel like the relational aspect gives you a lot more of the ability to say good things, but also like hard things to people without losing, you know, treating like an employee yeah, yeah, and losing them pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That's so true because like no, not in a secular workplace are you going to like grab lunch with your CEO like that <laughs> often, but in the church is almost like expected within the staff culture to do so mm. or kind of uh jason for you like how do you navigate that tension yeah no i totally agree i mean i would say i i I definitely err more on treating them like a a member um brother or sister i mean a a lot of the 
great blessing and the and I don't want to say curse, but the blessing and challenge of our current staff is like a lot of our staff members are people I consider my closest friends. Mm. And there, there's a deep blessing in that because there's so much relational history, trust, capital for you to have hard conversations and know it's, you know, you can have, you can kind of like work through those things together. Like you've been through a lot together. I guess obviously the challenge is, yeah, like, you know, the positional authority creates a, a weird, oh, there's no way around that dynamic, you know, yeah. that someone that is your closest friend also reports to you. And so that's a tension that I'm still learning how to navigate. Um, a, a few things that I've like, I would say that I've learned along the way is one is to recognize that it is different. Like they're, they're, you know, like no matter how much you try to be like, Hey, no, we're just, it's just, we're just friends. It's nothing's changed. You know, it's the same. Like, I think I've been learning that if you don't own like the power dynamic, and if you don't own that positional authority, like you're actually likely to probably like commit abuse or something, you know, because, um, I think it's, it's there whether you like it or not. And I think lead pastors always think like, Oh yeah, no, no, they don't feel like they see me as like purely an equal, but I I'm learning that like, no, like you have to always be mindful of that. But then two is also one thing I've been learning a lot is like, I think sometimes I don't give our staff enough credit to be able to also navigate that tension. Hmm. I, I always sometimes think that I'm the only one navigating that tension. And a lot of times I, in my conversation with staff, I, you know, they have like encouraged me, Hey, let us know how we're ways that we can improve and give yeah. us feedback and don't be afraid. Cause you know, like you can trust that, you know, we, we understand the position you're in too. And so, you know, we want to get better as a staff member. We know there's a, we trust that you love us and care for us. And so I'm also learning how to trust our staff a little bit more within that tension as well. Hmm. It sounds like, it just came to me, just hearing both of you guys. It's like, it almost, we it runs, especially churches our size, and maybe, I don't know, Jason, you might grow out of this too in a little bit, but most Asian American churches our size, it sounds like a family business where mm. you usually don't fire them, even if <laughs> they like lose money or steal, even steal money, right? Because it's like, uh, yeah, you're family, you know? But if you just, re, you, just re, you repositioned them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, now you're only in the back, you know, stocking shelves at the liquor store, whatever it may be. But, if you do get fired, then it's like, oh, they, uh, they, they really mm. messed up. And it's, it, I feel, it feels very, very similar. Maybe, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but I think that's the best description I can put. Like for especially churches our size that are Asian American, it's like mm. your, your boss, your pastor is like, kind of like a dad. Like, it's just like, he's there. And the whole church sees it that way too. Like yes. if you fire a staff member, yes. the whole church will see it as like a family betrayal yeah. versus like this employee transaction that happened. Yeah, which great segue. Like I want to talk about firing too because it's a little tricky and touch touchy, but I, you know, it. given all that, how, how should churches fire staff members? Like what justifies letting someone go from uh, a church staff, let's take outside like scandalous sin and just like 
stealing from the church. That's an obvious, like, yeah, you just get fired. But how do you judge a performance of someone underneath you, whether it's a, a pastor that's going to preach, whether it's a director in charge of a ministry, like how do you, do you guys have metrics? Well, what do you guys use to kind of navigate that world? Well, we haven't had to fire anyone um, at our church. Um, I've been told that like, like you have to fire someone to truly understand the weight of being a lead pastor. Like that's mm. when you earn your stripes. Mm. Mm. Um, but, but you know, we, um, by God's grace, we haven't had to fire anyone. I will say that one of the things I'm seeing in ministry that is a unique dynamic of ministry, that there are just constant changes. So like people's job descriptions can can literally fluctuate by the month if the church is growing or you have different needs or something like the pandemic happens. Um, you know, and so I do think like with firing and this is like, if this were to ever come up, I think a question I would ask myself is, have I given this person all the clarity and all the tools and all the resources they need to, um, to, um, do their job well, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think there are a lot of times I think in ministry, there's just a lot of assumptions happening or, you know, people have different views of what their job actually entails um, versus what it is. So I do think like um, it is incumbent upon whoever's overseeing the staff members to make sure they've provided all those opportunities. Because sometimes I do think like when I have heard about firings, they come out of nowhere or it's like they have all this stuff building up and the staff member has no idea that they've been underperforming or they, their work hasn't been satisfactory or something. And out of nowhere, like there'll be a straw that broke the camel's back and, and you know, the lead pastor will be like, yeah, it's over, you know, you're gone. And so, um, I, d- I do think there's going to have, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure you're, you know, you've given the staff member the right amount of support and, um, opportunity. Um, but yeah. Have not having had experience with that though. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. I'm like Jason never had a fire staff. I really hope I don't ever have to, but I hope that that moment ever comes where that conversation is in the horizon. I hope that person would know that they're underperforming. Like, like Jason said, then come out, out of nowhere. Like they would recognize that this is the description and they're not fulfilling it. So we're both on the same page. And in light of that, we come to like a mutual understanding of like what should happen. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, hard. No, I, to Tom's point, I think I, I, it's kind of unfair because I'm not a lead pastor, but I think if the person or the staff is caught off guard, then the lead pastor messed up in that process as much as that person is underperforming. Wait, how, how would you want to be fired, Eugene? Like you said, I would want to know beforehand. I would want chances of like, a warning like hey you you're on you know and i think most companies already do this like you given like a probation period or something like that um i think that should be there i think having uh, a relationship with you know your boss your pastor uh, is helpful because you can get hints of that but when it does happen i don't know maybe just me i'd rather just like i, I know some pastors that like try and like fluff it out and like you know there's 
better opportunities there's a, there's for a new calling for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, come <laughs> on, bro. Just tell me I suck and just move on. Like, you don't need to do that. That's me personally. I mean, this part is such a, like, tr- such a tricky dynamic because even with, like, performance improvement plans and, like, provision, it's like... There's an aspect of that that feels so anti-gospel, you know, like you have to earn like your place here. You know, like we want to see like, you have to earn preaching the gospel. We want to see these metrics and like these like clear improvements. Um, And then, and then you can like earn your, you know, earn your place. And so that, uh, and then they have to basically listen to you also every Sunday preach grace, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that is navigating that dynamic is so hard. If someone ever fired, if Jay ever fired me and he preached the sermon on the prodigal son, I would never be able to listen to that. <laughs> I'm like, you, you didn't get to show me that grace either. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think of that way. Uh, it's tough, but I, would you, I, I would, I would say too, being in an Asian American context even makes it worse. Because if you're like, the congregation's like, oh, this guy got fired. Like, this guy should never be in ministry ever again. Like, I could easily see that happening too. And if they get fired, they're not just leaving the position, but they're probably going to leave your church. Oh, 100%. 100%. And that's, again, like, dude, you don't want them to leave your church. Yeah. But it's, it's almost true. like that's going to be the natural outcome of it because there's too much shame in that yeah, yeah. label. And if, yeah. if they do stay after you fire them, that's that's even weirder. That's like something something's really kind of weird if that happens too. That happens. The lead pastor did some type of like voodoo magic trick, to like <laughs> get them to stay and see part of God's plan. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they do say, and I think this part is maybe potentially true of both churches and um, and you know, in the corporate world, you know, when they say like hire slow, fire fast. Mm. I do think churches are very guilty of hiring fast, firing slow. It's true. You know, where like they have a need and they need to fill it right away. So they'll just like grab the first person that's available and wants to do it. But then like, if it's not working out, they'll some, they'll do these like really long drawn out processes that are unclear and ambiguous and, you know, moving them around and all this stuff. And I do think that that, like giving someone the runaround, probably in the end, it might make you feel better about it, but for that person is probably more damaging, mm. you know? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of a church staff firing where it went okay. <laughs> like some communal damage happened that yeah. took like a long time to recover from. Yeah. Like it is going to cause a loss of trust at some level in the church somehow. It's true. Unless you're like a mega church and you Unless like you're a mega church. fire people like too, too day, many to you know? count probably. They yeah. won't even know that that person was hired in the first place. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah. who's Billy? <laughs> Which, I, you know, is helpful because that's it's a corporation then. And it's just easier to function as a as as a corporation. Yeah. My, my question to you guys is knowing you guys too, I don't think, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, would you guys ever fire just purely out of, I don't know, quote unquote performance or metrics? Or would you, would you, would it be more than that to have to fire them? I don't know if you ever even thought that far, but I just don't see either of you firing out of underperformance, but maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I can't see myself either doing that. Definitely, Eugene. I can never see you firing someone. I I think I would, it would have to feel like 
like me, whether it was like a huge character issue yeah. or like that person was becoming like, like toxic to the staff or the congregation. Mm. And then I think my role as like, uh, like a shepherd to our church or our other staff members would have to kick in there. And I yeah. could potentially see. Cause you're almost like trying to protect the church at that level. Yeah. Right? Mm. At that yeah. point versus the metrics thing. It kind of makes me wonder, am I protecting the church or am I protecting like my ambitions and ego mm. and where yes. I want it to go? Yeah. yeah that's yeah, like yeah, the tricky yes. part. Mm. So it's from, from hearing you guys correctly, it's more of the, the church's protection that would warrant anything, which I think is helpful. And I think that's a good way, but you know, to every lead pastor their own. Um, another question I want to ask you, which might be more interesting and less uh, negative. How how should you decide what is a staff paid position and what is a volunteer position? Because I would even say out of all of our staffs, I think there are certain positions that maybe Jason has that is a volunteer position in our church or in flip-flop too. So for you guys, how do you decide that? And what's the philosophy of ministry or thinking behind that? I mean, I'm curious what Jason will say. Um, I, I mentioned this in a different episode. I, I do still believe the church is only obligated to compensate for pastors. Mm. You're, you're not obligated to compensate for any other role. That doesn't mean you should, that you shouldn't, but you're not bound, I mm. think, biblically. Like it's the pastoral role that you should compensate for. Now, granted, you know, all of our churches do compensate for non-pastoral roles. So how do you decide to compensate for this role? and not that role. I actually think that that's a really tricky thing because if you compensate the AV person, why don't you compensate like the community leader overseer? Mm-hmm. Like what warrants it? And I think that's super tricky. Mm. The best thing I could gauge, and it's not even like my church, but what I see other churches doing is it seems like they compensate a role where it has to happen at a certain quality. Mm. Because with your volunteers, you know, you don't know if it's going to happen because, you know, they may be sick or things happen. And what can you do? You can't get mad at them. Or even if they are faithful and it's not a certain quality, again, what can you do? Because they are using their spare time to serve the church in that way. Sure. But if you want this role to happen and it needs to be at a certain quality, you almost need to, like, compensate to guarantee that quality and that role to be fulfilled. And that Mm. seems to be what I feel like churches are doing. So for example, if you don't compensate your praise leader, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing, but you should expect the quality that praise may not necessarily be what you would hope it to be because again, they are volunteers using their spare time to serve the church versus they're paid to do this. You almost have like an expectation being the expectation bar being raised and it's understandable that it's being raised. Mm. I'm not sure if Jason, that's how you feel. That's how you navigate it. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a good way to think about it. Definitely. Yeah. uh, Things that need to be at a certain quality, things that I would say other factors that come into play are, you know, to give the example of the AV person, not that anyone could be, you know, not that being a CG leader, for example, doesn't require like a lot of training, um, but especially things that are extremely technical and require a a specific specific skill set, you know, whether it's an expertise or a certain knowledge. um, I think those are, so I I would say, I don't think, with every staff position, they have to meet all of these, but I think these are some of the things that come into the thought process. So for sure, what Tom said about needing to be at a certain quality, 
yeah, like um, specialized set of skills. I would also say needing to be at a certain consistency. Mm-hmm. So like, could, is this a position that like you really need for the most part, you know, obviously they're going to be days when they have to miss, but for the most part, you need it like every week, let's say, yeah. or, you know, could it be something where they could theoretically take a break for like eight months and that'd be fine, you know? And so for things that require, like for us, again, going back to our children's ministry coordinators, we knew that especially for our rooms, because our director could not be in every room. We wanted to staff those positions because we knew volunteers can come and go, but we wanted at least the people in charge of the rooms always be there to be that consistent face every week. And that was just the value we had for, for that children's ministry. And then on a kind of a larger perspective, I do think what you staff um, as a church does it doesn't always it's not always a one-to-one correlation but i do think it's also an opportunity to like embody your vision and values i think a lot of times like what a church staff staffs and where they put their resources is also sending an implicit and explicit messages to your congregation about like these this is where we want to go this is where we're putting our eggs, you know, this, these are the things that we care about as a church. And so, um, yeah, I, I do think all of those considerations come into play, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, to Jason's point, this is a combination of what I think Jay told me, which I think is really sound. And what John Tyson said once at a conference where Jay first said, like, we should hire off of mission critical need. So meaning like, is that position going to further our vision for the church? And I thought that was helpful because that at least makes you very clearly define what your church's vision is. Because if not, like you, you can do whatever you want and you can justify it. But if your vision is planting churches, then, you know, are you going to have on staff a church planner in training, et cetera, et cetera. And I think John Tyson was the one that took it further and said, you pay your values so that your people know that it's important. Like, John Tyson's, you know, if you don't know, he's very charismatic and he's really big about prayer and he like pays like a director of prayer, which for most churches, you'd be kind of like, that's kind of weird. But I think for him, it's like, I want to show my congregation, like, these are things that we value. And that's why we put a paid position there. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to view it, which is not, I think it's very anti-Asian American usually, because it's like, you know, we can talk about the history of that, but I thought that was helpful uh, in terms of just hiring. Yeah, and that, that's a really good point because I, I do think a lot of times churches will hire um, paid positions based on like where they see growth, for example, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, oh, because this ministry is like bursting at the seams, we need more paid positions there. So like I, I remember this was a conversation we had when we brought on a full-time youth pastor. Like our church, we, we only have 10 to 12 youth students. So people are like, man, wouldn't why wouldn't you want to, use those funds like you know like do you want to bring on someone full-time to take care of 10 to 12 students but going back to what john tyson said for us it was like hey we want to invest in the next generation Mm. we believe they are they are the church they're not the future of the church they are the church now Mm. Mm. and and so like it was important for us to you know, and in the kinds of conversations we knew this person would have to navigate, like we weren't going to, we wanted to find the right person. We were willing to offer them a full-time position. 
And so a lot of times for us, it's not a, it's not just a matter of need. It's also a matter of what we value, you know, as a church. So. Hmm. Great segue. You know, now we're talking about who we hire. Let's talk about, well, how should churches figure out how much to compensate and to pay? Uh, how much, should, and you know, this is a Pandora's box. Like how much should pastors get paid? How much should lead pastors get paid? Um, but yeah, I guess for you, open-ended question, but um, you know, from your guys' history and, you know, we can be discreet. I don't, I don't, we don't need to like air out everyone's salaries or anything, but how do you guys feel like churches should go about compensating their people and their staff and their pastors? Cause I, I do know it's a little sensitive and tricky, but I think just because no one talks about it, it just stays in that little black box. So I was hoping to get some, any wisdom from you guys on that? Well, I think there, th- there's a different ways that churches determine salary. Like I hear like the school comparison one mm. where you pay them based upon like a comparable job. So if you're like a youth teacher, how much does a high school teacher get paid? And you do that. And I think that's a nice baseline. Other people, they do it by hours and so forth. Um, to be honest, I don't know if there's like a magical system where people do it. I think it's nice comparing to other churches and seeing a church your size, what locally do other churches compensate their staff. I do know though, um, one thing that's helpful to keep in mind for myself is I feel like for a lot of us, we hire in-house. Hmm. And when you hire in-house, for some reason, we tend to do like an in-house discount in the, in the pay. <laughs> but one thing I try to keep in mind is if I were to post this on a you know, mm. job posting, how much would I really compensate for this role where I could imagine someone taking the responsibility of mm. this role with this pay? Mm. I feel like the whole in-house thing, it kind of blinds you to think, oh, we could pay as low as possible. But it's like, no, yeah. you have to be fair to like the employees that you, you have. And so knowing like, I guess an, another way to look at it, which I, I hate using these terms, but what the market would be for this position out in the real world and compensate accordingly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do an entire episode on on this could, alone. Could. But yeah, like for, for our church, we use uh, an outside, like a third party salary resource, um, church salary guide. Basically, it, um, it kind of like you plug in all of your church data, like where you're mm-hmm. located, large metropolitan city, Los Angeles, how large your congregation is, what your annual budget looks like. And they basically um, take all the data from that area, from your area and give you kind of like salary ranges. You know, this is the median, this position at a church usually makes. And that's been helpful because it kind of takes too much subjectivity out of it. Um, How, what we do is we have like certain, our finance team has certain philosophies on how they want to, pay, you know, people who work for the church. So like, you know, whether it be like, we're always going to make sure we're above, at least above the median, you know, we're never going to dip below the median as long as we can, you know, uh, if we can help it, you know? And so like they have certain philosophies and guides as to like how they use that third party, um, resource, but that's, that's actually been really helpful because it takes some of the guesswork out of it. Um, I have heard, I, I do like kind of like the comps with like other comparable jobs because I think that does get rid of kind of maybe what our parents generation did a lot, which was just pay like people who work in the church as low as humanly possible. Cause there yeah. was kind of like a glory to 
like being underpaid and being and like suffering. And you heard a lot more pastors back in those days talk about how much like they were struggling and, you know, they were on food stamps and they're, they were below the poverty level and stuff like that. And, you know, all, all the more power to them, but, um, yeah, my, my, I, I do for our church, at least we want to, you know, um, obviously steward our, the finances of our church well. Um, but part of that I think is making sure we, our staff is taken care of. You know? Do you guys ever look on those job boards? like the church job boards and like it shows like we're looking for a lead pastor preach every Sunday, disciple midweek Bible studies, lead uh, small groups part-time. It's like what in the world? Like, you must have a, an MDiv and a MA and even PhD would be preferable. It's like, you guys are nuts. I remember like I went to a Presbyterian meeting like back, back in the day, um, I just like visited one and they were approving a pastor's call and he was a first gen Korean pastor and the church was going to give him like, I think it was like 30 grand a year. <laughs> and he, the thing is, he was like, and I'm fine with it. Like I'm okay with it. And everyone in the press was like, well, it doesn't matter if you're fine with it. Like you're going to screw over everyone who yes. works for you and you're also going to screw over anyone who's going to come after you because that you know that pastor said like you know i have like some savings and i have my family's pretty like secure but it's like everyone you hire from this point on if your church grows you're going to have to set them below you which jacks them and then anyone who tries to replace you your congregation is going to be like well our old pastor did it for this much um so it's like a lot of times even the the moments when we i think people try to be like selfless like they're actually screwing over ironically screwing over everyone else um around them so there are a lot of different considerations that i think come into play when you when you pay your people I always love when, uh, when Jason Park, he's a f- friend of us, when he spoke at our church and he was saying, if you don't pay your pastor at this rate, you don't deserve a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should be willing to compensate them at a survivable rate that makes sense. And if you're not willing to do that, like you don't, you pay what you get for pretty much. And I'm like, oh, there's like, there's some truth to that. Yeah, very true. Very true. Would you say, would you, I'm curious, like, would you guys say the, I mean, obviously we don't know what everyone in our congregations think, but would you say for the majority of your congregations, they kind of think like, oh man, y'all work so much or do they see like y'all don't work that much? Like, what, what, what do you think the general, uh, like prevailing kind of perception of your work is with like your, the greater congregation. I actually am pretty thankful. It could be, cause we have like a lot of PKs at our church and a lot of people same, who've been same. churched where they have a lot of empathy, where they know what the pastor does and the burdens that they carry. And so I feel like for a lot of them, it's the opposite of like that poverty gospel. Let's pay our pastor as minimal as possible. They almost want to make sure like you got, we're okay. And so for me, I'm like, so thankful that our congregation has that type of spirit versus a spirit of, well, tell me what you do, write down your hours. Like that's not the ethos of our church at all. And so I wonder, I'm not sure if it's just my church or if it's like our generation where we saw the trauma of that poverty gospel, first generation stuff that happened. 
Yeah, it was funny because like I, I the week I got back from Korea, I was like, oh, yeah. So you know, as many of you know, I was in Korea with my family, and people clapped. They like applauded. And my parents. I told my parents that they did, and they were like, "Why would they clap? That you like had fun with your family?" <laughs> <laughs> no, it's crazy. When I go on trips with my family, I'll post them like on Insta Story and so forth. And congregation members, they like Venmo me money to like you know treat your family out to dinner. I'm that's just like, awesome. dude, that's awesome, man. Like, that's just mm-hmm. kind of like, I think the spirit of people, again, in my church. And I, I think generally our generation kind of feels that way. Yeah. And I realize, yeah. like, just like millennials and, and down, they're just the era of punching in and punching out is over. It's like mm-hmm. almost, it's flipped too, where it's like more power to the worker. I mean, it's still right. like uneven. So I think they see that and they're like, uh, like to, to Tom's point, compassionate. I do think, though, like, within the church world though there's just not enough especially within our circles there's no like accurate comparables and they don't really know what the market is out there so that's what i found like they're very compassionate very thoughtful and like they know like oh i know like you know for you your mind doesn't stop like if something happens in the middle of the night you, you're working but in the midst of that it's like there's no like uh, again, I hate to use this word. Like, there's no clear market. There's no like, you know, Glassdoor is a very famous like salary thing for people. I type in pastor, and the range is like from 25k to like 250k. You know, it's just like that's not helpful at all. So I, I, I found it's just kind of like there's a fog of like, and they know like we're not in it for the money. Like yeah. I think that yeah. most people know, like if we're in it for the money, we would not be pastoring. Yeah, no one's aspiring oh. to be on preachers and sneakers. Like that's just kind of not. <laughs> The Asian American church. If we were in it for the money, we, we would be pastoring differently. Like we wouldn't be. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, we wouldn't have with a, Jesus we, on the third point. And this point. podcast would be different too. It would be very. <laughs> we'd be have merch lines and everything, but yeah. and those are all good ideas. But yeah, you, yeah, I think people know that, and I think people trust us. Um, okay, well that's we. Maybe we'll do a uh, episode on money just all together. But moving on, a couple other just kind of small questions to get more behind the hood of church staffs. Um, staff meetings. Well, like uh, as I'm actually, there's a lot of people curious on like what church staff meetings look like. Like I'm one person asked like, so do you guys just pray and then just end the meeting? And like, I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish it was. And some churches might do that, but I guess for you guys in your own respective churches and staffs, what is, what is a, a typical weekly um, staff meeting look like? What are the ins and outs of that? And what is helpful and what's not in those meetings? Yeah. So for us, we just changed all of our, we just changed our meeting structure for this new fiscal year that reflects like the new staff reorg before we just had one pretty much all hands meeting. That was the like catch all for everything. You know, we talked about big picture stuff, nitty gritty stuff. You know, it was like everything. And it was good when we were small. You know, because it, everyone felt like they had ownership over the entire ministry. Um, and so uh, literally up to like last month, we've been running just one meeting on Tuesday. That's been getting longer and longer because the number on our staff has grown. Yeah. But basically what we do, generally speaking, how we ha- organize that meeting is we always do. I always open the meeting with kind of like a centering exercise and then some kind of question of the day just to get people's um you know, blood flowing, um, get kind of like get them reflecting a little bit on how they're doing. Um, and then we'll share prayer requests, personal, but also, 
um, congregational. So mm. within our respective ministries, um, if there are people, specific people we want to pray for or be praying for, we share those. And then when we get to the kind of meat and potatoes of the meeting, we organize it pretty much as like looking back, looking forward, and then looking ahead. So looking back is just this past week, everything that happened on Sunday, but also during that previous week and just kind of run down you know what was good what was bad yeah and then looking forward to to just the next coming week so the next mm. sunday and anything happening that week and then and then kind of like looking ahead like down the horizon what are some things like whether easter's coming up or what are some things we have to start thinking about or want to update the staff on now and so that had been working fairly well again when we were small but now we've re reorganized all of our meetings to have more um for each meeting to have more clear purposes mm. so like now you know we're gonna move into a structure where like we still have an all hands meeting but that's way more like big picture care for each other um and like staff development you know mm. and then we have like kind of in our pods like weekly meetings to kind of update each other on what we're doing that week then we have like sunday only like for this coming sunday meetings real quick could be on a zoom so we're just trying to figure out like you know and then we have meetings set aside for more ideating you know yeah. where we can dream a little bit and imagine and so we're trying to we don't want to like kill our staff with meeting after meeting, but we want to clarify the purposes of each meeting and the intentionality of each meeting so that they're more efficient. And so hopefully like we'll have more, the number of meetings will grow, but like the, like the time will be much more like efficient and quick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Our journey is pretty similar to yours, Jason, where we had our staff, meetings have evolved and how we did it right now we have a pastoral meetings it's almost like two different tracks we have our pastoral meetings where it's like longer meetings and a lot of it's like in a pastoral lens so we'll review the sunday but we'll review mainly like the preaching together we'll we'll check in with each other see how we're doing in our souls and encourage each other but then we'll talk about like the upcoming sunday We'll talk about like we'll preview the sermon together and we'll talk like big picture stuff regarding like the upcoming weeks and events. And then that's like most weeks. But once a month, we have a shepherding meeting where all we talk about is our members. We just talk about how are they doing? We check in on them. We give updates and then we do like macro level stuff. So this is like, hey, big picture. What are some like vision stuff or movements that we want to do? That's what like the that's with myself and the full time pastor and then our director who's aspiring to be a pastor with the whole staff. What we do is we do a weekly meeting they're all like working part-time jobs elsewhere i also so we have to meet in the evenings and that's literally just let's look at the whole sunday review let's preview the upcoming sunday and let's talk like logistical things that are happening uh, and then kind of like jason says we'll do like separate things where we'll meet uh, for like particular ministries and check in on that uh, but once a month with the whole staff we won't do any business we'll just meet in someone's home and the whole purpose of that we just eat together we pray we encourage each other and we just like worship together. And so I've been enjoying that rhythm. Um, there's a book, I'm not sure if you guys read it, Death by Meeting by Patrick Lencioni. Hmm. Yeah. Like that really inspired the idea of like, don't keep your meetings the same. Like you gotta like kind of keep it dynamic. And that was really helpful, I think, for us to break the monotony of our meetings. Hmm. Nice. Uh, for us, we have a weekly staff meeting. We're small enough. I, I, I think we're the small staff here. So we have all five um, and we meet. And that's more technical stuff. We just go through uh, Sunday, upcoming events. 
I mean, Jay put it really well. I mean, people don't know this, but like for church staff, like every Sunday you're, you're putting on like a ghetto Broadway musical, you know, every, every week. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's like, you know, it's just like, oh, it's just volunteers, but you don't realize like, I think unless you're behind the scenes, like it's, it's like, there's a lot, there's just a lot going congregation, on. Just, there's a lot of thought put in that Sunday may not seem like it, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot there's, of thought. There's, there's a lot of thought going on. So we, we try and do that. We review. I like what Jason said. We could do the same look past, uh, look now and look beyond. Uh, in that staff meeting, we have a check-in. We also do check-in just on congregations. I, I It's helpful because our staff, they're not, there's two of them that aren't pastors. And, you know, I realize as pastors, we there's a lot of stuff we don't hear because we're pastors. So I think having part-time staff that are lay people, they hear what's actually going on mm-hmm. and they will like to their own discretion, let us know like what we should be praying for, looking out for. So we have that part in our staff meeting. Um, and then other than that, I mean, Jay, like not regularly, but Jay is a really good cook and he just randomly invites staff people over and just cooks. And that is great. And we have two retreats every year. We have one staff retreat where it's all staff and it's, that's more vision casting planning for the upcoming year. Um, and then we also have a, a staff and board where our board of leadership and the staff meets and we try and sync up together. Um, and just get aligned there. So that's kind of all of our meetings um, for True North. So that's how we do it. Hope that's helpful. A um, couple of last questions in one. Maybe I'll just pick one of these. Um, what in the Korean slash Asian American church staff culture, uh, what is unhealthy? Um, and what are some areas that should change that you've seen maybe in your own church or just maybe in the circles of churches that we're in? Um, and how can we create healthier staff dynamics and cultures moving forward man we needed we need to do a whole episode on this alone because i i do think this is big and i've been thinking about this a lot as well and i thought about it a lot after taking pete's gazero's emotionally Mm. healthy relationships course and one of the things i think that is so common in korean american asian american staff cultures is and I'm guilt so guilty of this is like um, so many uh, unspoken rules and expectations. Yeah. Like in in Korean culture, we have that word nunchi, right? Where we almost treat that as a value in terms of like like the best staff members are the ones with the most nunchi or like the ability to read the room and to know what everyone is thinking and to know what you as a lead pastor are thinking. And it, in some ways it like frees you from ever having to clarify your expectations because you're like, well, this staff member knows me exactly like knows exactly what I want, knows exactly what they need to do without me even having to tell them. And I think that's our way of being slightly passive um, in our leadership. And I do think that so many staff members get penalized for not being able to read the room well, when really I think the onus is on the leader to clarify what those expectations are to, you know, so that they don't have to do that guesswork. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really important for me to learn because for sure I was guilty of that. And the second thing I think in Korean American, Asian American staff cultures is a, and this is like, I think just a sickness in general, but I, I find it a lot is how much we glorify overwork. And it's still as much as like we say, like we're a different generation from our parents and we're probably not even close to like what the first generation church was like, but 
like no matter how much we preach on rest and Sabbath and the importance of it, I still do think that we're like held captive to like the like culture's narrative about, you know, overworking yourself. And I'm again, like I've been called out on this and I've been guilty of this where like someone who seems to be overworking, we're always like applauding them. You know, we're never concerned about them. We're always like, oh man, they're such a beast. You know, they're, they're working so hard. Mm. And so there are little things like that. I think that lead to burnout, especially, I think that can lead to excessive burnout in, in Asian American staff culture settings. So those are two that come to mind immediately. Yeah. I think it reminds me of parenting. Like you will parent how you saw parenting. Like it's the models you've seen and you know, all of us had probably not the best models of parenting from our first generation households. But then you read like these parenting books about how to parent your kids. And they're often like these white authors. And it's like, <laughs> dude, like I'm not going to parent my child. Like it just feels so foreign what yeah. they're telling me. Yeah. Uh, and so you try to apply it and it just doesn't really feel like authentic. And I feel like that's kind of true with how you lead a staff. Like we yeah. all were in the context of like the first gen staff culture and we're aware of it. And that's our natural impulse. But we also don't want that to be our staff culture. So I think what a lot of Asians do is we look to like the leadership gurus in the white evangelical church circles and we try to adopt that model. And dude, that does not work in like don't an Asian work. American context, you know, don't like it's work. like, so to me, I actually think we're confused hmm. and we don't really know who we are and how we want to lead and it makes the staff confused. Hmm. And so for mm. me, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, it's not like a model that I need to adopt, even though I could gain wisdom from those different models, but like, who am I, who is my staff and how do I lead them well based upon who I am and who the staff is. And to be honest, I'm still figuring it out. Like I actually don't know my impulse again is to just lean back on like what Jason talked about the Asian Nunchi, just let that be the culture or adopting like the white model of like everything's clear policies and so forth. And both of them seems not the healthiest thing or the mm. most authentic thing. And so I know I try to just do what I feel is right for our staff. So one example that I feel like breaks the mold that I try to do is that I think it's actually I'm thankful that I feel like I'm trying to do this is I just apologize a lot <laughs> to our staff. Like I, I own up to like the mistakes that happen. Even if they make a mistake, I feel like there was probably something I did mm. that wasn't clear. And I think that's a counterintuitive thing to do. Mm. I feel like doing things like that breaks the curse of our Asian or the white modeling that's there. And you're just trying to be real for the moment. So I'm still figuring it out. Mm. Good. That's good. I The only thing I would add is like as an associate and I've been in this role, even as an intern, like just being a number two or three within that, you know, pool of people. Um, and it's not really Asian. Maybe it is, but just within the church. But to Tom's point, I, I do think there was, and it's kind of died down, but I still see it. There's like a tendency for a lot of these leads to read a book and just, I'm a, I'm a change everything next week right and like is i'm telling you as people that work under you like it's the most annoying thing you're like where did this come from and then you see a book on their desk you're like oh you read steve jobs you know it's like 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 oh, okay i guess i have to like you know be innovative with like my ministry so i'm just like oh man but i just like 
stability is nice. I, I just like even boring is nice, you know, and like a healthy staff is your most productive staff. I, I think I realized that like if you want metrics to do well, just like as a lead more than anything, feed your staff. And I think you'll get what you're looking for long term. If you push them hard enough and I'm speaking as someone underneath a lot of leads and I, Jay's a great lead. He's nothing like this, but if you push them too hard, like you'll get results for like a year and then you're done and you just have to recycle. So I, I would just say that. And the Nunchi thing as someone underneath all like, you know, it's so real. It's like golf. Like Jason knows there's so many stupid rules in golf that they don't tell you about. Like don't put your club in the sand. Like don't talk when there's a backswing and you don't find out till you mess up. So just like, you know, if you're a lead, everyone has their own quirks as a lead pastor. If you're a lead pastor listening, I understand. Just let your staff know what they are. Like, you know, everyone has their own things. I think as long as the staff knows, they'll, they'll get your back. And yeah, I think it'll be healthier. That's a good rule of thumb. If you read an amazing book that inspires you, you should sit on it for like six months yes. before yes. you implement it into your <laughs> church DNA. <laughs> For your staff's sake. For your staff's sake. Because they have or, to adopt that thing, right? Or make them read it first. And don't yeah, try and just like, you guys know what I'm saying? It's like, I have no idea what you're saying, my brother. Like, what, what do you mean? Anyway, sorry, my, my trauma is leaking a little bit. But um, hope hope that was helpful. This is a longer episode, but, you know, it's been a while since we've been back. Hope that was helpful. There's a lot of branching off we'll probably do from this episode. There's one big question I couldn't even ask, but that could be an episode in itself. So hope you're blessed. Hope that's a little more behind the scenes look of how staffs operate thanks for listening uh if you have any feedback let us know give us a rating whatever it is i hope to see you on our next episode